Oh, morning. I'm on the wrong side of the room. I'm usually back there. Where's my six iPads? Um, man, I'm, I'm, I'm stoked to be here with you guys. I really am. This is, this is so much fun. Um, we're going to be in 1 Samuel 18. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and crack that open. If you've got a phone, go ahead and get that open. If you need a Bible... They're outside on the porch where you came in, on the welcome table. Feel free to grab one. Take it with you if you want. Keep it. Um, There's a lot of good instruction in there. Um, 1 Samuel 18 is where we're going to be. So while you guys are kind of getting there and and flipping through, let's just kind of bring us where we've been. So we've been going through Samuel. We've been all the way through 17 chapters. And last week, we had the message that Joshua gave us of the famous David and Goliath. And like Joshua was kind of saying, we kind of remove that Western lens a little bit. And Israel and Philistine, they're they're in this battle. And um, Israel and King Saul are afraid uh, because they have like this nine-foot giant Goliath out there that's like between these two armies in a valley. You know, he's in there like for 40 days taunting Israel like, you know, whoever can beat me, you know, we'll be our, our slaves and vice versa. 40 kind of given this like number of trial in the Bible and stuff. And... So then comes along David, and David comes along, and um, Saul kind of tries to, you know, install his fear in him that he feels. He's like, dude, you're a youth, man. He's like, you can't go against this guy. This guy's, been, this guy's a man of war. And David's like, I've been slaying lions and bears who come after my sheep, and this uncircumcised Philistine's no different. And so you guys remember the story, right? Like David goes out, he's got his slingshot, he's got his five stones, one shot, hits him in the head, down he goes takes his own sword from him, him, takes his head off, gives it to the king and says, how about that? He's like, man, this guy's pretty good. We should should keep him in the kingdom, you know? So so that's where we were last week, and we're we're really seeing, like, who David and who Saul is. You know, we're we're really kind of getting into the, the waters now. We see the character of these two men. So we've learned that they're both shepherds, David and Saul, but one was looking for a donkey. The other one was looking for God. They're both chosen, one by the people, one by God, but one hid himself after he was chosen and the other one answered the call. Scripture tells us that they're actually both good looking, but one had a servant and another one was the servant, and then that they're both at one point going to be kings, but one's after his own heart's desires and the other one is after God's. So both David and Saul as kings, as we go through, we'll see that they both come up short. They're both going to miss the mark leaving Israel in need of the one king who will set up that everlasting kingdom. So, so that's where we are. And so in chapter 18 today, when we get into this text, we're going to see Jonathan come into a bit more focus here. He's Saul's oldest son. And he's really, he's more like David than he is his own father. And Jonathan and David make a covenant And that's really what the message is going to get into today is what is this covenant and what are these covenants in the Bible? And the word covenant appears in 293 verses in the Bible. So what I thought would be kind of cool is we'll go through each and every one of those verses line by line. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. People start walking out. (laughs) But 
we're not going to do that. But we will go through some of them because when Scripture repeats itself, we should pay attention. We should pay attention, right? So as we read the text today, as we go through these verses in 1 Samuel 18, we're going to see that Jonathan and David make a covenant. And I want you to look for the similarities between Jonathan and David and see how they differ from the king of Israel, Saul. You with me? All right, so let's read through this. We're going to read through some verses here. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 and forward. Now, when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor to even his sword and his bow and his belt. Verse 5, so David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now it happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine, that's Goliath, that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet Israel or to meet the king Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Then Saul was very angry and the saying displeased him. So we got a mood change here. And with his ten thousands that they had ascribed to me, only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? Verse 9, so Saul eyed David from that day forward. Your translation may say, viewed with suspicion. Verse 10, and it happened on the next day that a distressing spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied inside the house. So David played music with his hands, as at other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him but had departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from his presence. He made him captain over his thousands, and he went out and came in before the people. That's not a promotion, by the way. And David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Therefore, when Saul saw that he behaved wisely, he was afraid of him. Last verse 16, but all of Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. So here we have more descriptions of two men who are near God in another man who is far from him. So David goes wherever Saul sends him. He's obedient. He's victorious. He's accepted in God's sight, most importantly, in women and men and even Saul's servants. He's prospering wisely. Three times the scripture tells us he behaved wisely and that the Lord was with him. Saul is what? Saul's jealous. Saul's got a distressing spirit from God upon himself. 
He tries to kill David for the first time by casting a spear at him. He's threatened by David. And verse 12 and 15 says that he was afraid of him. But Jonathan, who's the would-be heir to the throne, by the way, he's not jealous. He's not afraid. He's not threatened. He's more like David than he is his own flesh and blood. It says that Jonathan's soul was knit to that of David's and that Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan and David made a covenant. So what does that really mean? What does covenant really mean? What is covenant? It's the Hebrew word berith. It means to cut. That's the root word meaning, to cut. There's many types of customs and traditions and cultures of how um, covenants were signed and signified. Here's a really popular one, kind of gross, kind of nasty here, but this is how it is, is when people would make a covenant, they'd make a cut on their wrist. Blood surfaces easy on their wrist. They'd put their hands together like this and they'd move them up and down. That's how we got our handshake. And then the blood would mix and they'd look at the scar and they'd see the mark of the covenant. And in less populated times, when strangers would approach, they would raise their hand and show the mark of the covenant. That's how we got our wave. Cool, right? Webster's Dictionary defines covenant as a usually formal, solemn, and binding agreement. It's a promise. It is an unbreakable promise. It's what we call a testament. So you have the Old Testament, you have the New Testament. You have the Old Covenant or covenants, and you have the New Covenant. It's a book of promises. This is a book of unbreakable promises. So what I want to do today is not go through 293 verses and go through covenant, but I do want to go through some really big ones. You'll find more in this book of promises than this, but I want to take a trip. I want to take you through a little journey through the Bible. Now we're going to go back, and then we're going to go forward, and then we're going to go back, and then we're going to come back up to Samuel again. And what we're going to do is we've got this gift of a covenant. We're going to wrap it up. We're going to put it in a box. We're going to put a pretty bow on it, and then we're going to open it up and see what it turns into. So going through this ride, let's go back to one of the earlier covenants. You have the covenant God makes with creation through Noah in Genesis 9. God says, thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. He says, I set my rainbow in the cloud. It shall be a sign for the covenant. Did you know that? When it rains, and when a, then a rainbow is in the sky, it is a sign of the covenant that God will never again destroy the earth by water. He will destroy it again, but the second time he'll do it by fire. Another day, another topic. <laughs> you have the Abrahamic covenant, also in Genesis, where God says to Abram, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you as an everlasting covenant. I will be your God to you and your descendants. I also give to you and your descendants the land 
as an everlasting possession. He goes on after he changes his name to Abraham and he says, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. We keep going on a trip and we get into Exodus 19. Cody touched on this a couple weeks ago. In Exodus 19, you have this beautiful wedding ceremony that takes place at Mount Sinai. God says, now to, God says to what's going to be his chosen people, he says, now therefore, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. There is the husband saying to the bride, will you? And then the bride, Israel, says, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. There's the bride saying to the husband, I do. And then the Lord, through the mediator Moses, tells the bride, Israel, to be ready in three days. He presents himself to her in the form of a thick cloud with thunderings and lightnings. The first trumpet in the Bible recorded is sounded, followed by the Ten Commandments. And those are the wedding vows. Those are the wedding vows. And the bride breaks them. But not the husband. He doesn't break them. So you have, a, you have a covenant there, the first marriage of God and a chosen people in the Bible with the first trumpet sounded. Paul later tells us on in scripture about another marriage that will happen with the church and the bridegroom. And he says that will happen at the last trumpet. If you want to see when that is, just go find the last trumpet in the Bible and I'll give you a hint. It's not in the beginning. It's in the end. So we're going to move on through our journey. And now... Another covenant we see is here in Samuel. And in 2 Samuel, God says to David, we've skipped forward a little bit. He says to David, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body. I will establish his kingdom forever. The angel Gabriel tells Mary later that he will be great. He will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Now, this is the very throne that a river flows from in Revelation. And that very same river in Genesis is flowing from a garden. You see, there's four chapters in the Bible with no sin. You have Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 and 22. No sin. And everything in between there is chalked full of sin. And it is elevated to redemption through the one linear bloodline of Jesus Christ. So on our journey now, let's go back to those first two chapters. Let's see if we can even get back a little further. Let's go to those first two chapters in Genesis 1 and 2. Everything's perfect, right? It's great. What happens in Genesis 3? The fall. The fall. We all know the story, right? Adam and Eve, they're in the garden. The serpent crawls up to them and they eat the apple. We know the story. Fall. And after they've fallen, Scripture tells us actually that they are hiding from God. And God actually says, where are you? He says, Adam, where are you? 
hang on a minute. I thought God was omniscient. I thought God was all-knowing. Why is he asking, where are you? Well, it's, he's not asking from a longitude and latitude perspective. What he's doing is he's saying, you're in sin. You're lost. You guys know my son, Leo. If you don't, he's back there somewhere, probably going to get a little grief about this later. I say, hey, I'm going to make some eggs for breakfast. I'm going to heat up the skillet. Don't touch the skillet. It's going to be hot. It'll burn you. It'll burn me, Dad? Yeah, it'll burn you. Okay. What's he do? Ah! I say, what'd you do? What happened? I know what he did. I know what happened. And that's the thing what God is showing here. He knows what it is. He's pointing out. You're in sin, you're lost. So what do they do as they continue? They're, they're naked and they're ashamed and they cover themselves with fig leaves. God comes along and he sheds blood for the first time in the Bible and he covers them with skins or tunics of animal skins. In other words, beloved, human beings can't cover our own sins by our own works. God must do it. And he does it with a blood atonement. That's why we have in Leviticus all those laws that sometimes don't make sense to us that says that the life of all flesh is its blood. So as we're going forward in our journey through the Bible, remember a couple weeks ago in 1 Samuel 14, that's the very law that Saul broke. Remember? They're having this battle with the Philistines. It's not going well. And Saul's like, all right, that's it. Nobody's eating till this goes the way I want it. It goes the way he wants it. It gets better. And then the people start gorging themselves. And they say, look, the people are eating the food with the blood in it. Meanwhile, Jonathan is somewhere else. And he's eating honey off the tip of his spear. And he's like, you know, probably would have been better, actually, if you would have let him eat. Maybe their countenance would have changed. Their belly would have been full. And the battle would have been something different. So we see here, as we're coming back up in our ride to the chapter and the text that we're in today, that Saul is far from God, and Jonathan and David are near to God, and that the Lord is with them. And Jonathan and David are in covenant. And we're starting to see why covenants are so important to God, and they're in a covenant. So... We're going to cover some additional ground. Don't get mad at me, Joshua. We're going to do some spoiler alerts here. We're going to kind of blast through a little bit of Samuel here. And what we've done now is we've got the, the box wrapped. We're going to put the bow on it. And then we're going to open the present. So as we go through the end of Samuel, first book and second book, we've seen here that Saul tries to kill David. And there'll be more attempts at that. David has multiple opportunities to kill, to kill Saul, but he doesn't because he understands that vengeance belongs to the Lord. Now, spoiler alert. At the end of this chapter, Jonathan will die. It's when he's in battle with his father that he will die. But David continues. And their covenant, their unbreakable promise, continues and so we go into 2 Samuel and we get in to chapter 4 and we find out that Jonathan has a son. Jonathan has a son who was lame in his feet, 2 Samuel 4 tells us, that he was five years old when the news came to him about his father dying. 
And scripture tells us his nurse picked him up and ran for fear of the new king, David. And as it happened, she made haste to flee and she fell. And Mephibosheth fell and he became lame in his feet and he couldn't walk. And his name is Mephibosheth. Everybody say Mephibosheth on the count of three. One, two, three, Mephibosheth. Oh man, I'm glad I'm recording this. It's great. Saul and his son Jonathan are dead. Because of a fall, Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son, is unable to walk. And David is reigning king of Israel. And we go forward more. Spoiler alerts. And we go through into 2 Samuel. And David says this. Is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? They're in covenant. A servant says, yes, there is still a son of Jonathan who is lame at his feet, unable to walk. David says, where is he? He says, he's in Lodabar. David says, bring him to me. Mephibosheth is brought to David. He is called. So David says to Mephibosheth, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather. You shall eat bread at my table continually. Then Mephibosheth bows to him, and he says to now King David at this point, he says, what is it that you should look upon me such as a dead dog? And the King David calls and says, I have given you all that belonged to Saul. My friends, here is a picture of us, a fallen sinner. Just as Adam fell, Mephibosheth fell. David takes all the initiative. He seeks him out. He welcomes him to his palace. He gives him a place at the table. He shows him kindness. David says, for your father's sake. He gives him the full inheritance to the land of Saul, which he is not entitled to. Then, then he tells him that he's going to eat bread at his table continually. This is sounding awfully familiar. And it's because of the covenant that Mephibosheth goes from the pitiful to the palace just as Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he went from the tomb to the table. Which brings us to a new covenant, a new unbreakable promise. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. 
I will be their God. They shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. They shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them. Here's that verse we know. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sins. I will remember what? No more. This is what Jesus speaks of in the New Testament in John 6, when Jesus says, it is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me, Jesus says. My friends, Jesus of Nazareth is the only one who fulfills all of those covenants. And there's more. He is from the lineage of Abraham. He's the one who brings blessings from that family to all the earth. He is the faithful Israelite who's able to obey all 613 commands of the Torah. He is the root of Jesse. He is the king from the line of David. He is our faithful partner in covenant that we were supposed to be. But we have fallen. And we are redeemed by the blood covenant. And that, my friends, is good news. That's good news. So we're going to take communion. And we're going to take it as a church, together. If you're in this center row, right here, in front of me, look under your chair, and every other person will have a bowl under their chair. Look. T-wig. If you don't have a bowl under your chair, it's because the person in front of you and behind you does. Huh. Ooh. Oh. oh. I, got ten, I got 10 more minutes. Can I just move something real quick? Yeah. That's good. Take, take this out of here. And just a little tip on the rip and sips. My old buddy Gentry taught me this. If you take the tip right here and you bend it down first, it'll actually break it. So break that down first, and then peel it back. Make sure everybody has one. And then off the top part, you take the bread, the wafer, and you're going to see a screen or a scripture behind me that says this. And he took the bread. He gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He also took the cup after supper. He says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. So as our musicians come forward, and we're going to praise God and worship some more, I have three questions for you, and then I'm done. Are you in covenant with Jesus? Are you a part of that unbreakable promise 
Do you know him? Do you actually know him? Not know about him. Not know what he says. Not know what I say or Joshua says or Gentry says. Do you actually know him? If you have questions about that, if you want to talk to anybody about that, I got all afternoon. I'll hang around. I'll speak with you. Joshua will speak with you. Dawei will speak with you. Tanner will speak with you. Amanda will speak with you. Leo's going like this. My main man, Leo, in the back will speak with you. He's the good-looking five-foot-two young man with glasses. (laughs) Takes after his daddy. I want to pray for us. Lord, thank you for this privilege to share your word with our beloved church. Thank you for inviting us and calling us into your unbreakable promise. The promise of knowing you and spending an eternity in your presence by your finished work at Calvary. May your perfect and infinite goodness never leave our thoughts and always be in our speech toward our neighbor. I pray for those here today who know you and those who don't. I pray for your will to be done and not ours. Glory be to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, King of the universe, Jehovah Jireh. Amen. I love you guys.